Thanks, everyone. Good to be here again. We're, getting, we're continuing the, the story, and hasn't the Lord just been doing so much in our hearts as we go through the Scripture from beginning to end? And uh, I, I think we had a few worried that we might not, it might not be as exciting as it's been, but this story of, of the Bible, uh, there's so much, because the, the human heart never changes, does it? And so there's just so much going on that can speak to us. And today, it's, a, it's an interesting one. We're talking from uh, 1 and 2 Samuel, a bit of Chronicles. So we're in this, mo- in this mode now where... In the, in the big story, the, the upper story, we, we say, uh, there's, a, there's always a, a, a lower story going on, our story, our personal story, which we're going to share. The, in the upper story, uh, there's this transition of God's people, who were supposed to be a kingdom of priests, who put their hand up against that. Uh, so they're living in this, am I, aren't I, the people of God mode, and they're just coming out of judges now into the period of the kings. And, uh, and so they've had a, a bit of a trip up with a, a false start with Saul. It's not going too well. Um, as we heard last week with Zelvin, pride got the better of the guy and, and there was all sorts of a fall that came with that. And so now we're looking at the heart of David who comes in after him and we're in that mode before David becomes king. He's been anointed but he's not been appointed. Anyone know what that feels like? To, ha- to have the promise over your heart but it, hasn't been, it doesn't seem to have been fulfilled. And so we're in the promised land, he's in the promised land, he's, he's completely in this space where God has called him. He's had the promise over his life. He's not wandering around in the wilderness as they did for 40 years, and yet he's, he finds himself in these passages in his own wilderness, in the promised land. And this is so much what happens to us. We want this linear journey to take place where I'm walking through and I've, and I've been through my wilderness now, thank God that's over. Now it's promised land, it's going to be awesome now. And we find ourselves, we start to go through the same things that we went through before, albeit in a different state of mind and hopefully a bit more faith, but it can look awfully similar. But it's, it's not quite the same because in the wilderness, the wilderness wilderness, and there's the wilderness wilderness and the promised land wilderness, in the wilderness wilderness, it's all about the testing, isn't it? I've come to humble you and test you, the Lord said, to see whether you would uh, follow me and that know that man does not live by bread alone, but from every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He's past that stage now, but now he's in, in the midst of his calling, but his calling leads him sort of away from where the calling said that he would go. And so this is so often the case in our life. We become convinced of who we are and what we're called to do and suddenly we find ourselves 180 degrees turned the other way and wondering what's happened. We've followed destiny and we're finding dust. And we seem to have what seems to be an elongated period. And then we realise that this is actually the promised land. The promised land is not so much about testing but it is a lot about challenges. It's a lot about tension instead of testing. Because tension forms movement and tension is awkward. Tension is, I'm here and I should be there. And, and you feel the gap between what is and what should be. The, the promise and the circumstance. And that tension draws you and it's awkward and it's uncomfortable and it's painful. But in that journey, God never relents in growing us in a cyclical way through the seasons of life into who he wants us to be. And so we find that the promised land isn't the end of our journey, it's the beginning of a different type of journey. And so in the book of Samuel, we follow this path of David. And his story, if you haven't read the whole thing through, um, he's got the classic uh, rising star Jeff Bezos, Abraham Lincoln type story. He's had the log cabin where he's come from the backwoods of Bethlehem. No one knows about Jesse, even though Jesse, uh, his father is the grandson of Ruth and Boaz, who we talked about a few weeks ago. And he's, he's selected out of obscurity. He's like, it's like the thousand-person crowd and the, and the prophet comes to town and picks someone out of the crowd and says, hey, you, you are to be king. You know, and they go, who, him? Him? 
what about his big brother? He's awesome, but this David guy. And he, so he's, he's been selected out of obscurity. And, but he had this high-profile win, which some of you may have heard about. This, this 9 foot 11 guy called Goliath was trash-talking the people of God. And David's the only one in the crowd. And he says, well, this can't be. We can't have this. Either he's going to stop breathing oxygen today or I am. Because I can't live under this blasphemy that's going on. So it rises up, this worshipful warrior just comes out of this 16-year-old boy and he just nails this guy with one rock in front of the whole of Israel and the Philistines and suddenly David is the golden-haired boy. David is the man. David kills his thousands. Saul, uh, he, no, what is it? Saul kills his thousands, David the tens of thousands. Suddenly, Instagram's going nuts. We're trending on Twitter. Hang on, there's a new guy in town uh, and he's better than the old guy. Uh, how, how can we do a spill? But David's not buying into it. And so we begin to see this tension begin to arise between the appointing uh, from the anointing. So this guy Saul, David's mentor, uh, the king, the anointed one, the one that had been placed in there, was vexed by his pride and his insecurity. And what's more, his own sense of destiny of himself and his name. And so he wants his kingdom to overflow down to Jonathan, his son, who's a great man, a great man. Um, and yet God unravels this completely different story. So we pick it up in 1 Samuel verse 20, uh, chapter 20, verse 31. It says, uh, and, and we see this beautiful, intimate family dinner with Saul and Jonathan, where Jonathan's confronting his dad. What's with this thing you've got against David? Saul replies, as long as the son of Jesse lives on this earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. In other words, this guy's a threat to your throne, don't you forget it. Now send someone to bring him to me, for he must die. Why should he be put to death? What has he done? Jonathan asked his father. And subplot, parenthetically, Jonathan and David are soulmates. These guys are bosom buddies. They'll die for each other. So he's sticking up for him. But Saul hurled his spear at him to kill him, at his son, Jonathan. Then Jonathan knew, somehow he dropped a hint, there was a thing, there was something going on here. Jonathan knew that his father intended to kill David. So we see this tender father-son moment going on here, um, is Israel style, you know, um, and we just see this grasping of Saul, the real him comes out, the real I'm threatened, and for him calling was about grasping, and, and Jesus said, you know, the more you grasp your life, the, the, the more elusive it's going to be, you're going to lose it, and this is a big principle of our calling in life, of what God's called all of us to, to do and to be, is that the more you try to control it, the more it eludes you. It's like sand that just comes through your fingers and you, you can't grasp it because it's not yours and it's not about you. But Saul never did figure that one out. And so what unfolds is this scenario that many of us confront as well, of this being unjustly sidelined. David has to run for his life. He's, he's 16, give or take a year or two now. And he's, he has to go, otherwise he is going to get killed. Uh, so for 14 years, um, he leaves Jerusalem and runs away from Saul. And when we go through these sort of situations, and maybe you've experienced this, where you think, this is really unjust, and I'm not sure whether you've experienced injustice at any level before, but, but in that, the lens from, from being a, a victim of injustice looks at the one who prospers and goes, how is it that the one who least deserves it is the most elevated? And God, by the way, why don't you confront that? Is this not in, important enough for you to deal with this? You know, I'm stuck over here, I'm the one you've called, and yet this person who's less qualified, less humble, he's screwing it up, to be honest, and you're letting him go. And we find ourselves in this position 
where the big mouth bragger gets all the opportunities and you get nothing by the look of it. You think, why can't I just cut a break? When are the doors going to open in my life? And it, this process scours our heart. It's like, it's like abrasiveness to our flesh. It starts to grind away at all the things that shouldn't be there because it brings them to the surface. But this process prepares us more than any other process can. And it's really the unique gift of all of us who are called to make an impact in this world as opposed to be, being impressive for the world. So Saul was very impressive, humanly speaking. He was head and shoulders above. He was tall, dark and handsome, apparently, the whole thing. But he impacted negative. He, had, he was impressive, but he wasn't impacting, or the impact was negative. And God was looking for someone who could shepherd his nation that was impacting, that was humble, that could give the glory to God and had integrity. And the mistake we can make in these moments is to, is to spend our life judging the souls in our life. But we find what that's doing is, because we're coveting something that is theirs, we're actually doing the same thing they did, aren't we? And so when that comes up, it's a good chance to let that boil away, let that do its work and process, why am I feeling like this? And let me deal with that as it comes along. But what's happening is the thing that should not be, David should not have been ousted this way, just as we shouldn't, it catalyzes what has to be. And that is the growth that makes us the fulfillment of the calling. And the fulfillment of our calling often can only be fulfilled far away from that calling as he begins to build us up. So the path of frustration is our path of fulfillment. So there are some things that are more sustained tensions that I mentioned. They are more tension than they are tests. And the tensions actually never end. They never go, oh, sorry, I didn't want to drop that on you. Uh, but this is the promised land. It's a place of tension where the giants, as David found out, don't go away. The people we have to fight, not, not our people, the, the world, the, the, the systems, all that stuff, that never goes away. And this sort of stuff doesn't just apply to leaders. It's, it's to each of our life. And, and it, it happens for your sake. So you can have clarity on who you really are. You can actually see what's inside and deal with that stuff. It's, and it's for the world's sake so that we can gain the substantive sort of believability, the credibility that we need outside of a position and a title that we long for. We can actually build up the stuff. And it's for God's sake, because God wants to see if you're ready for the upgrade. So let's have a look at what these challenges are. I want to I go through, I, I, there's four in here, and I'll, I'll, I'll emphasize the ones as we sense the Lord speaking. But the first, the first challenge is a capacity challenge. So David's, he's in a cave, he's, he's hiding out. And you'd think he would be alone, but the first thing that happens is that he begins to be joined by other people. And this interesting thing comes in, for him it's a leadership challenge. It's like, are you, can you be a leader without the girls singing the hit song about tens of thousands? How about in the cave? Are you still the guy? Are you still the guy? Are you still the leader? Because we want, we want the open doors in our life based on our desire and the promises and the destiny, not on the demonstration. And God's about to demonstrate that this guy didn't need a title. He was about to become the best leader the nation had ever seen, albeit without a title and in spite of that and against those who were against him. So it starts in verse 22, uh, chapter 22 of 1 Samuel. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him and he became their commander. About 400 men were with him. Some of the translations say everyone who was grumbled, all the complainers, all those whiners that you don't want on your team. Oh, can I join you, David? Because my church, it's pretty ordinary, you know. Uh, my boss is no good and, you know, all the, all the stuff. And 
that every topic of conversation just comes around to be something they can be griping about. And he's already having a bad day. And everyone just wants to gather around. You can just imagine the fireside chats. He's going, someone, kill me now. Like, <laughs> and it kept going. 1 Chronicles 12, they, they helped David against the raiding bands, for all of them were brave warriors. And they were commanders of the, in the army. Day after day, men came to help David until he had a great army like the army of God. So you see this process over these 14-odd years where they weren't just the grumblers. Now the leaders of leaders are coming to this guy because he's turning grumblers into mighty men. And this process, as you see through 1 and 2 Samuel and 1 and 2 Chronicles, what David's leadership did, because he was a man of valor, he was a leader, he created leaders. And we tend to replicate who we are. And so he brought out in these guys incredible feats, people who did stuff probably more than he'd have done. Um, one of them decides, I need to prove myself because all the other mighty men are getting the name for themselves. And this guy, he, he goes out in the snow and he gets confronted by a lion. And he doesn't bolt, he chases the lion. And the lion falls down into a pit. And you go, deal done. He jumps down into the pit with the lion and, and kills him by a spear. He goes, how about that? I'm, I'm now one of David's mighty men. And he became the bodyguard of David, this guy. These are, these are nobodies. And just the, the culture, the culture of faith and the culture of um, warriorship. And we're finding culture starting to grow here now. We have a culture here of integrity for the Word of God. We have a culture here of cultivating the presence of God and all the power that He can bring with His presence. Of praise and all these other things that's becoming who this church is. And people who will come into this church with their hurts and all their pain and, and, and they will transform and you will watch them transform into people of hope and of faith and of worship because that's who we are here. Isn't that awesome? And so these guys become doers of exploit. So the principle here in this capacity challenge is who are you when there's no recognition or reward? He couldn't help but lead because he was a leader. It was in his DNA. It just leaked out of him. And people just wanted to be like him and so they were attracted to him. And so if you are called to something in life, don't worry about the title. Don't try and grasp the title. The title will be thrust upon you. The people of God, God himself, will make it happen. That's the first challenge, the capacity challenge. Will you lead? Will you be who God's called you to be in the absence of a title? Next one is the integrity challenge. This is where it gets really interesting. Because Saul came hunting for David, and David was in a cave, and many of you would know the story. He ends up in the cave and, and sort of left himself exposed, if I can put it that way. He decided that this is where I'm going to relieve myself in a cave. Um, and David was right there, like a couple of feet away. Going, this is an interesting moment. And his men are going, here's your chance. Here's your chance. Just kill him. God has appointed you as king. Take him out. And you just see then this, this heart, the heart that qualified him to become king. So I'm not going to grasp something the wrong way. I'm not going to do it like that. I'm not going to dishonor who God has honored just because I feel dishonored. I'm not going to repay evil for evil. I'm not going to come in the same spirit. I'm not countering the way he would do it to me because I'm not like that. So 1 Samuel 4, 24, he cuts, he cuts the, the bit off his cloak and then lets him go and then confronts him with a big shout from the top of the hill. Hey, Saul, this day you've seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lay a hand on my Lord because he is the Lord's anointed. You know, some people use this as a template for protecting preachers and leaders against complaint. It's very handy for us to be able to preach something like that, but it's actually not what it's really about. The greater lesson here is that you don't break God's ways to bring about God's will. That's, that's what this is really saying. 
You don't say, this is the way God wants this and so the ends justify the means. You don't gain a position in life by ruining someone else's. You don't do wrong because you feel it's justified. You don't cheat on your taxes because no one will know or you don't like SCOMA. You don't do the wrong thing because your life has gone wrong. This is integrity. This is the integrity test. It's like, will I do the right thing when life doesn't do the right thing by me? See, faith sometimes requires of us that we not go through some doors, that we don't take some opportunities that come before us. And the world will bring them to us constantly. And it's what we choose not to do and why we choose not to do it that's as important as what we do. It really is. It's our nose that qualifies for the yes. Remember Genesis 4-7, and we, we grabbed this one at the very beginning of this series where God talks to um, Cain, Abel. Who killed? Which brother killed? Cain, great scholar, <laughs> the naughty one. If you do what is right, that's terrible, forgive me for that. If you, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you. You must rule over it. And these doors, sometimes the door that it's talking about, the door is the opportunity to do, to fulfill what we think is right when the world's doing us wrong. Sin crouches at that door. Don't let it get you. In a world of options, what, uh, what are we going to say no to and what are we saying yes to? It's an interesting question. No one can deal with that stuff except you. Now it's getting even more interesting. The soul care challenge. Soul care. It's easy to drive at Mark 2 with your hair on fire and just blaze away. And it's easier to do that than it is to say no and to actually form some rest. But sometimes rest, sometimes talking to our soul is what we need to do. See, the ultimate cap of our life is not our performance in life. The ultimate cap is not how well you can do the stuff. The cap is going to be your resilience. It's going to be your ability to pick yourself up after everything goes wrong. To endure over the long haul, we need to find a way to deal with our troubles, with our traumas and our disappointments because they're coming. And the further we push back on life, the harder they're going to push back at us. And we find from this next passage that the high achievers in life aren't always the high performers. But the high achievers are the ones who know how to deal with disappointment and opposition and they keep going. So the situation evolves. What's happened is David... He's been rejected by his king. He's been rejected by his country. The Israelites have rejected him. He's gone now, and he's even prepared to fight for his enemies, the Philistines. So he turns up at their fight. And they go, dude, no. We don't trust you. You know, it's actually a bad day when your enemies don't even want to use you up. So he's been rejected by the whole lot. So he goes, man, I'm out. So he goes back home to Ziklag, where he lives. He gets there with all his men, and they're all scuffing their feet and, and having a grumble. We wanted to kill some people. And they get home and there's nothing left. Their, their, town, their little village that's theirs, it's gone. It's, it's leveled. It's been burnt and everything is gone. All their possessions, wives, kids, everything is gone. That's a bad day. I don't know whether you, what your idea of a bad day is. Um, I don't know what it takes to say, you know, I've had a bad day. This is a bad day. It, it doesn't get much worse than this. But then it does. Then these guys, these roosters that he's taken from nothing to being awesome, they turn on him. It's your fault. You know, <laughs> and they want to kill him. They want to kill David because of what they've lost. They figure, well, we're here because of you. We followed you. And this is what we do to politicians, is it not, in Australia? 
regardless of whether it's true or not, everything comes back to Gladys. Everything comes back to ScoMo. We always, because we have to go, I'm uncomfortable, there's got to be someone up there's fault. Would you like, imagine being them. All those fingers. I don't, I don't know how our politicians, we should, can we stop right now and pray for our politicians? I think there's something in the Bible that says we should do that. Let's pray for them, let's bless them, because it's tough. Father, I don't really mind what partisan position we have, whether we're lefties, righties, or in the Middle East. Father, we just pray for all our politicians and we all have a bit of a slight at them sometimes, but God, we choose right now to honour them. We look at what happened to David, how he was so dishonoured, and we feel for him, but we don't feel for those who are closest to us. So Lord, for Anastasia Palaszczuk, for Scott Morrison, and for the leaders of the opposition as well, they're all too easily criticised, Father, and we repent as a church of that. We want to bring a different spirit, because Lord, you wouldn't do what we do in this sense. So, Father, we pray your blessing on them. We pray your protection on them. We pray for a sound mind and huge capacity. Will you bless them and bless their governing in the name of Jesus? Amen. All right, sorry, I just felt to go down that lane. So that's what's going on. So he's had a bad day. So, and then it says in 1 Samuel 30, verse 6, David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. But David found strength in the Lord his God. There it is. The soul care challenge. What do you do on a bad day? Do you curl up in a ball in a dark room and suck your thumb? Which we all want to do. Or do you find a way, do you know a way to gain strength from God in that moment? Because you're done. Your flesh is worn out. He's got nothing. But he found strength in his Lord. Some translations say David encouraged himself. He found courage inside, encouraged. He, he got strength again from God. I don't know, it doesn't tell us how he did that. I know how I do that. For me, it's about perspective and praise. To remember that the sun's always going to come up tomorrow. It's that, that people around me care, that what we're doing really matters. And I can invest in those things even when I don't get a lot of support for that or a lot of fruit from that. I can still always do what's right, you know, and life can always be about legacy. And I can thank God for all he's done. And I can just imagine David just sitting there remembering all the good things that God has done. This is where the Psalms come from. I will praise you. Why are you so downcast? Oh, my soul, I'm going to put my faith in God. So he's gone and found a rock somewhere um, big enough to hide behind while they're looking for him. And he's finding his strength in God. That's probably the last thing that most of us would be doing. We'd be bolting, wouldn't we? But he stops. He goes, no, if I can't do this, I am nothing. And so the, the inner core of him just found strength there. He didn't, uh, he controlled the urge to get bitter. He found a way to deal with his grief. He let this stuff go because it was too big for him. And even in his distress, he found perspective. And what we find is that's what equipped him because you find in reality, the dogs of doom will bark loudest at us at the very door of destiny. He's 48 hours or so away from being made king and he has no idea. Life has never looked darker for this man than this moment. And it's like the dogs of doom are barking in his face. Give up. Just die. Just run away. And he found strength in God. And it's that resilience of heart that we can all choose to find. It's that resilience that sets you up on the path of the destiny God's got for you. But the dogs will bark and they'll bark loudest when it's imminently close. So don't give up. Get that resilience from God and find your way to do that. That's a soul care challenge. And then this last one I call the, the core value challenge, and I have mentioned it before. It's just one of my favorite leadership moments. 
where he's come out of, he's found strength in God and then he sought God, will I go after him? God says, yeah, you go after him. And he takes the men and they go. And David's running so fast, no one, you know, is, is having a, an easy time keeping up. And then in the end, a good portion of his army said, man, I can't do this. We're, we are done. And he says, that's all right, you camp, I'm going. And it's a bit like Russell Crowe in Master and Commander. Anyone seen that movie? And they're, they're barreling around the cape in the boat. He doesn't care if anyone else is on the ship. He's at the front, keeping the whole thing level in the 30-foot waves. We're going after that sucker. I don't care if no one's with me. And this is David. I'll do it on my own. I've got God on my side. I've done it before. And he's just running, and they can't keep up. And they finally take him over. And if you look at the, look at the text, it's incredible, the victory they had that says they wiped, wiped them all out. There was only a few hundred of David's men. And he says he wiped out all of the Amalekites, um, except for 400 young men who took off on camels. Except for 400, they, those 400 outnumbered David. And they're, they're out of there. Anyway, so it was a great, great victory. But on the way home, they come across the guys who couldn't keep up. And they've taken all their own plunder and a lot more. So they're coming back loaded up. They've invested in Bitcoin and they've just come back ready to buy Amazon. They're looking good. And they come across the guys and all the, all the bad attitude men who, in their little faction, they're, they're still hanging around and go, dude, you get nothing. You gave up. We fought the fight. Why should we give that? And you can actually see their point. There's nothing, nothing worse than someone who's got a bad attitude and a good point. <laughs> little window into my week, isn't it? It's, um... And they say no. And David, and David, something triggers in this man. And for me, it's one of the most admirable moments in his story. Not Goliath, that was easy for him. But in this moment, he's, he's tired. Can you imagine the emotional backwash that he's in? There's nothing left in this man except the core. He's running off the core. All the fluff has gone. There's just him. And he's just gotten his family back. And now these bunch of grumblers want to kill some of his men. And, and his response is, over my dead body. He says, no, no one's going to listen to you men. And he picks a fight with a whole lot of them. He didn't back at Ziklag, you know, when they were going to stone him, but on this he does. He says, no, no, this is unjust. And I'm going to set my flag on this bit of ground and it doesn't topple over until I do. What are you going to do about that? And he sets this standard to say, no, everyone gets to share. In fact, everyone in this whole nation, as long as my feet point forward, they're all going to share in any plunder that we get because it's Ubuntu around here. We're, I am because we are, this, we're doing this thing together or we're not doing it at all. What do you have to say about that? And by the way, here's my spear. <laughs> and he's ready to go at them. And so they back down. And this is what I found about in life. You can argue about many things. And I remember hearing Tony Blair, the ex-British PM, whether you like Tony or not. Um, but he, he, he said a very insightful thing in one of his interviews. He said, I'll, I'll negotiate over almost anything. I'll, I'll be prepared to do give and take. That's what politics is about. Until you hit my core, irreducible core. And then I'll die on the hill to defend it. And the decisions that we make from our irreducible core, where we say... That's all I can stand. I can't stand no more. I'm, I'm, I'm fighting for this. Those decisions are the most influential decisions you'll ever make. It's those decisions that will form the culture of, of, a, of a workplace, of a city, and a thing that we say no. What are we prepared to say no to? What are you prepared to say no to? Is there a moral issue? Is there a thing where you just say, no, this, this is unacceptable. I'm not breathing this air. It might be something for you about how 
uh, we're dealing with different social issues in school or, or about abortion or about, uh, pick your topic. There's plenty of us out there that some, some of us should be saying, no. And we do it in a humble way as he did, but we're just not prepared to exist in the presence of that problem without being part of the solution. That is leadership. Anyone can lead like that. What's your thing? Have you got a thing? Does anything matter to you? For me, it's the local church. Trish will tell you, we've died over it many times. It matters what we do here because this is the model. We, are, we, are, we host the gospel. We, we come together and we can do together. It's a mystery because we can't do it alone. We've, we've all got to do it. It's a, it's a wonderful thing and it's a nightmare all at the same time. It's a glorious mess, the church, and I wouldn't be doing anything else. What's your thing? I hope you've got one. I hope someone just presses your button. I'd love to see it. And you don't get angry about it. You don't come against it in the same spirit. We don't have to be flag-waving, poster-bearing protesters. There's better ways to do stuff because the the decisions that we make based on our irreducible core will change culture without a loud voice because we're just not going to stand for anything else. And so we just walk. We walk the way we have to walk. And you'll find the crowd will part. It parts because it's not prepared to fight for someone who's prepared to die for their cause. It's amazing the influence we can have in life. What hills are you prepared to die on? So these challenges will come against all of us. They're challenges, they're not about your performance in life. We think that calling is about how well I can perform. These are all heart things. Capacity, integrity, soul care. How do you encourage yourself in the Lord and your core values? And none of these challenges go away. All our life, they're going to come against us. They're going to present that tension in our life that can either create movement or it can just create pressure. So like the enemies in the promised land, it's about how we take that journey and that movement and just not stay stuck, to not bow to these dogs of doom as they bark in our lives. He would never have known that within 48 hours he's about to become king. I wonder if that would have changed anything about what he did. So I guess my encouragement to us today is just to dig deep. Just to dig deep. All of us are under pressure in some form. All of us have circumstances that are are not favourable in our lives. And you can fix one and you'll probably find five more. And so sometimes we just have to say, my commitment is just to dig deep. I'm going to exercise faith in God. I'm going to hide behind my rock while everyone's trying to kill me. And I'm going to find my strength in Him. Because no matter what we're going through, we really should be able to find that moment. Even through tears of pain and trauma, we should still find joy in that space because it's, it's available. Even through tears. It's not, oh, I'm happy with Jesus. Awesome if you can do that. But, but some of us here are going through life-debilitating sickness, family breakups, companies are going broke. There's serious stuff going on in this room. Now, we don't have to throw a flimsy, just praise Jesus, sing at them. No, I'm talking about something way deeper than that. I'm talking about heartfelt, gutsy joy. I will praise the Lord in the middle of this thing because He's worthy and He always gives me what I need. It's not being, it's not ignoring and denying a problem. It's being bigger than the problem. It's not being under the circumstances, it's being over the circumstances. And if anything comes out of this sort of story, it's to say the problems don't ever go away. We just get so big we don't see them anymore. That's the promised land. Having fun yet? 
Let's pray. <laughs> Let's pray together. Father, I pray, Holy Spirit, Lord, I, I just know faith grows in this room. That you're, you're welling us up with hope. Not that things will run away or blow away, that we'll get bigger than them. Lord, I pray for each one here, and there are many who are going through those hardships. I, I thank you for the testimony of so many who say, I'm going through it, but God is good. I thank you for the faith. And I thank you, Lord, that for many of us, the, the doors of destiny are moments away. So we bless those doors. But we bless everyone, no matter what the trajectory and the direction they're in. Lord, pray you'd fill us with hope and faith and love because we can always be the person you've destined us to be right now, depending, uh, independent of our position on the journey. We can do that right now. We can always choose to be the person of faith and of hope and of love. Grant us the peace to do that. Grant us the joy to worship you as we worship with you now. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Awesome. And we'll be uh, praying for anyone who needs some prayer into that. And I mean that sincerely. If you need the strength of God, if you need the joy of the Holy Spirit, please come and receive some ministry over there after the worship time. Bless you guys. See you in the cafe.